Okay, so Sonia, it's been almost a year since the L.A. County uh, stay-at-home order hit us. Can you believe that? It's been almost a year. It is wild. I was, uh, you know, just thinking back, like, what I was doing last year. And I had just come back from New Orleans having a blast. And then I was in a job interview. And then after my job interviews, when whole everything got shut down, so I was like, wow, this is interesting. <laughs> yeah. And we didn't have our podcast. No, not yet. And Right. And I was just getting ready to come back to work. In fact, the day that I was released, the, um, on the way home, they announced that the following day, Friday, we'd be at a stay-at-home order. So, however, you know, it's been in the news here, and I don't know if you've heard it, but starting April 1st here throughout California, we're starting to open things back up. Because cases are going down, uh, people are getting vaccinated, those that want to get vaccinated. Um, and as of April 1st, here in California, amusement parks are going to be open. So Disney, um, sports venues, um, concert, I mean, a lot of things are starting to open back up. So that's really, really, I think we're seeing the light at the end of the, t- at the, end of the tunnel. Hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, I think everyone's pretty ready to be back to normal. I yes. know I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I have a question though, because I I didn't go into the fine print. But when they reopen the amusement parks and sporting events, is there still going to be a lot of social distancing or like uh like half capacity? Yes, that's exactly right. Depending on what tier those amusement amusement parks are in like i think most of the big ones are in orange county here in southern california so depending on what tier orange county is that may determine at what capacity they'll be able to open but also looking forward to indoor dining to open up um, at restaurants even if it's in a limited capacity I, i think you know they're ready it's cold outside it was hailing today yes hail i looked outside i'm like the rain sounds really hard right now. Let me look outside. And I was like, oh my God, there's little balls falling from the sky. <laughs> and my cats are freaking out. Like, what's happening outside? That so, sounds yeah. <laughs> that that sounds like a sequel to the song It's Raining Men. Well, I wish it was men, but uh, it was hail instead. <laughs> right. Yeah, but I, I will be happy to eat inside just because, you know, it's cold. And, so, you know, sometimes I do want to go out for dinner mm-hmm. and not f- have to wear a jacket and gloves while I'm having dinner. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. Yay. Woo! So I just wanted to uh, give a little shout out to Australia, Sydney, and Perth, and locally Beverly Hills and North Hollywood. All right. Isn't that crazy? We have listeners, you know, have- international. Oh, wow. That's great. And- Yes. Beverly Hills? Are you sure that's not me listening? (laughs) (laughs) I actually thought of that when I saw that. I'm like, Beverly Hills? I'm like, it's got to be Sonia. That's interesting. Well, I mean, I have a lot of friends that we all are like pretty local here. So it could. Right. I mean, who knows? Maybe we have reached somebody. But yay. That's fabulous. Yes. So if there's any um, potential. Oh, actually, are there any potential suitors? Now, you haven't branched out to Australia yet, right, as far as uh, tindering? No. You know what? I did look. I was like, how do I – I was trying to figure out how do I date someone from Australia? How do I get, like, on the location? But, like, so I'm on Hinge, and it will only let you do mileage, and there's only so much mileage. And I was like, oh, that's not fair. But I guess I could type in a different address. I don't know. But um, <laughs> as of right now, it's just me kind of looking at pictures of Australian actors. <laughs> That's about it. So, and if anyone's single and ready to mingle, let me know in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yes, reach out to us here at The Healer and The Inspector, or uh, we'll give all of our social media at the end. You can get in touch with Sonia. Yeah. Cool. So next, it's my pleasure to introduce to everyone uh, our next guest. Uh, He's a he wears many hats. So he's a musician, fellow podcaster. So this is a great collaboration we're doing with him. Uh, Entertainer, and what was very surprising to me, 
beekeeper. Uh, so we'd love to welcome Joy Desperate. Welcome. Hello, hello, Antonio. Antonia. I'm sorry. Sonia, I'm so excited to be here. I'm mispronouncing my words. Antonia and Sonia, the healer and the inspector. It's a pleasure. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing good. Yes, I'm uh, drying out. I got caught in a little bit of that rain while I was doing an inspection, but so glad to be home and warm. Yeah, it, you know, it's been a killer, eh, a couple of rainy days, some snowy days here in SoCal. I'm, I'm here in SoCal and um, it's it's nice to get the rain. It's unfortunate that a lot of us forget how to drive um, down in these parts. And so, eh, yeah, you got to play a little bit safe when you're driving on, on the streets. But I, I think it's fascinating. You know, I remember listening into you guys when I first kind of learned about your guys' podcast and I found out you were an inspector, Antonio. I thought that was so cool because what I do, you know, from one of my aspects of my business as a beekeeper is I guess kind of classified as pest control. I get a lot of calls for other kind of creatures and, and critters. And uh, sometimes people ask me about termite stuff and I'm like, I don't do termites. I only work with bees, but I think it was so cool that, that you, you do that. And uh, how long, like, have you been in that? Well, I've been in the industry for four years as an inspector, a termite inspector. Um, and I have to say, I, I really admire what you do because as a someone who works in the pest control industry, unfortunately for us and a lot of the big companies, when people hire them to, to get rid of bees, they exterminate them. Yeah. They don't relocate them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been four years, uh, an interesting four years. Um, as Sonia and I have discussed on our podcast before, it, being a neat freak, it is not the job for me. Oh, <laughs> wow. Um, as, you know, having to go into crawl spaces where, you know, you've, you're, you're rubbing up against fiberglass. I mean, first yes. of all, you're crawling, crawling mm-hmm. in the dirt mm-hmm. and some crawl spaces can be really bad. So you've got spider, I mean, it looks like Indiana Jones down yes. there, one of those caves. So I've you've got there. spider webs and spiders and, um, big roaches and, so yeah, but four years and uh, looking for something else to do. I get what you mean. It's it's hard. And I mean, I've had some jobs where I've been in crawl spaces where like my head is right between the ceiling and the and like the joists and I can't go any further than that. And I got to get bees that are in the thing. And it's so hard, like you're saying, when you get, I get, I even sometimes will get calls where they have a bee infestation or they'll have a hive. And I have to tell them, I said, because of where it's located, I can't salvage it because sometimes they're in the middle of a tree. And unless I have like a tractor and a crane and a, and a hoist to get this tree down, they're not coming out. And there are unfortunate times where our only bet is to do something called a flush and seal, where we will evacuate the hive with smoke or whatever kind of other treatments we can use to get the majority of bees out. And then our only option is to patch that hole in. And sometimes not all the bees make it out. And that's, that's an unfortunate reality of someone even in my industry is mm. even as I'm trying to save as many bees as I can as, and rehome as many hives as I can, sometimes it's just, it's too cost uh, heavy to, to get them out. And, you know, a lot of the people I'm working with have been impacted by the COVID situation and they don't got a lot of money, you know? And so when I'm saying, look, we're going to have to like cut this whole tree down if we want to get this stuff out. And they're like, oh, well, what else can we do? I said, okay, we have another option. But for as many hives that I've unfortunately had to euthanize or had to flesh out and maybe rehome in in maybe not the best way, I've been able to save, if not, you know, five to 10 times as many. So it, there's always a net positive there. But it's, it's, it's definitely hard, man. How long have you been uh, in the bee business? That's a good question. Thank you. Um, I've... It's kind of funny how I got into this, okay? Because I never, even, I want to say maybe even two years ago, I wasn't interested in being a beekeeper whatsoever. Mm. It kind of just hit me one day. And let's just say it crept up on me. I've, in my history, my work experience, if you looked at my resume, you'd be like, what the heck is this guy doing for his life? Like my first job, I was a balloon twister at, um, I don't know if you guys were ever familiar with Farrell's Ice Cream Parlor here in- No, but I love that it was a balloon twister Yes, I was a balloon twister. That was my first job. So that's where I fell in love with entertaining people, talking with people, being in front of people and, you know, having a good time. So I, I did that. And then I worked in a warehouse. Then I worked at a country club mowing lawn greens uh, or the golf uh, greens. And then I went out to there. I moved. I did a car wash. I worked at a car wash and I'd hop in like this janky old van with some guys who didn't speak. I, I didn't speak Spanish and they didn't speak English. And we just dropped, you know, we washed cars. Then I, I ended up working in LA in the film and television industry. Realized I didn't really like that environment because it was super long hours and 
left those left that role to and, work and at what a were you doing in the film in uh, industry yeah so I have some family members who work as production liaisons or production not associates but production coordinators for different reality television shows and things like that in LA and so I was on hard times working at the car wash and they said hey do you want to like come over to the office for one day and like move furniture and paint some walls I said yes I mean I don't care what it is I don't want to wash cars anymore and they said, okay, cool. So I went there. I just moved furniture. I built some Ikea furniture for the office uh, people and I painted the walls. And while I was there, I think for the one day, I met the CEO, the guy who owned the company. And he was so impressed with my work. And he says, hey, do you want to stay on as the, the office assistant? And I said, hell yeah, I do. I don't. And, I, and that was my move. I ended up moving from Riverside, California to LA. And I worked in um, Tribeca West. I don't know. I mean, I know Sonia. You have experience with the Santa Monica area. You know that's right off of Olympic and Bundy. And I worked in that production company for Intuitive Entertainment. So I was an office assistant. Office assistant, and it was like myself now, a, a many hats role. I wasn't just responsible for you know the daily office runs, picking up lunch for the CEOs or people who were in the office. I was like doing deliveries to set. I even played an extra in like an episode of a show called Married with Secrets. I played an, a waiter. I just did all sorts of stuff. I did tech stuff. I did like moving things around. It was so crazy, but it was fun. And after I did that, I moved into a role as a locations agent assistant. So I wasn't a locations agent. I was an assistant to a locations agent mm. through a company wow. called Image Locations. And that was off of Westlake. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the American Cement Building. It's that big concrete lattice structure right next to Westlake um, in LA. And I used to work in the middle floor. So I had a beautiful office, open concept office with a view of the skyline every day. And it was a big time paying job. And I didn't like it. And I didn't want to stay in LA. I had no friends. I was just there for the money. And I realized I didn't want to do that anymore. And I ended up moving back to Riverside, working at my local church as a facilities coordinator. So I did plumbing, drywall, electrical. And while I was working, I kind of just, I don't know, I started thinking about bees. And I started watching more YouTube videos about how to be a beekeeper, what bee removals looked like. And it just kind of grew on me. And it was funny because the first time I had any kind of um, kind of contact with the idea of beekeeping was when I worked as a warehouse associate at like this place called VSI here in Riverside. And it was called Venice Veter Veterinary Services Incorporated. And it was like this big warehouse where you could get any kind of animal product you thought of. It was like horse toys, lizard enclosures, uh, dog food, cat toys, wow. cat food. So they sold everything. It was really cool. It was, it was a cool place, but it was not fun to work at because it was very sad. And working in a warehouse, for me, it was very sad. And I didn't like doing it. But I remember I went to the section to pull this order and it was like beekeeping supplies. And I looked at this book that said like, oh, uh, beekeeping for such and such. It wasn't a beekeeping for dummies book, but it was a different beekeeping book. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And I put it back on the shelf and I just carried on. And I didn't think about it for another four years. And, wow. and it was until I started working as a facilities lead that it kind of just grew on me. And then one day when COVID kind of first hit, I left that role and I was looking for a new job. And I was like in this weird position where I was working at this homeless shelter and it was, it was a good job. I could have stayed there, but we got our first stimulus check and that first round of stimulus checks. And I told my wife, I said, you know what? Like, I think I want to start a business. I think I want to start a bee removal business. And so I called up Everybody I knew on, I, I, anyone I can find on Yelp in Riverside in my local area who did bee removal, and I called them and I said, hey, um, you don't know me, but can I work with you? Can I like shadow you? Can I learn what you're doing? I got a lot of no's. And I kept right. calling, I kept bugging the first guy I could find. And because the saying goes, and I, I remember talking to other beekeepers about this before, like on Facebook, before I even got started. And everyone was like, well, you know, if you talk to a bee removal guy, they're not really going to want to train you because who's going to want to train their competition? Mm, and right. I said, well, that's kind of smart. That makes sense. But I'm going to try anyways. And lo and behold, I bugged this guy to death. I said, look, let me let me get you lunch. Uh, you know, I'll set up your ladder for you. I'll pull your tools around. And he's like, okay, fine. He gave me one day. I had one day. I My mouth to God's ear. I had one day to learn everything there was about bee removal in a firsthand sense. I had to watch this guy do a cutout. We went to Palm Springs. I watched him cut out this beehive in a roof and they were, I swear they were probably Africanized because they just stung me to heaven. 
It was crazy. I got lit up and he was like, this is a bad hive. We're going to kill it because it's it's too dangerous to keep alive. It sounds and like it- sabotage to me. What do you think, Sonia? Oh, yeah. I mean, I just, I, I just imagine like skin bubbling up with. It's bad. Yeah. Wow. It definitely, right, it definitely gets I- bad. And I learned, I learned so much from him in that one, that one day. And I said, okay, yeah, stay away home. from Africanized bees. Exactly. <laughs> I learned that was a big one and kind of learning what to look for when it comes to doing a removal, because uh, I learned that not every hive is meant to be rescued. And that was a weird thing because I had always been told, you know, we always hear it. You got to save the bees. You got to save the bees. You got to save the bees. But I've learned so much as a beekeeper that some bees are so dangerous. Some hives are so dangerous due to their genetics and their, you know, their behavior tendencies, they they shouldn't be around people. And they shouldn't be the radius, like maybe even a, a couple meters of people. And they're not worth hanging on to because it's too dangerous. Right. And now, so when you were go ahead. learning this one day, did he loan you a beekeeper outfit or did you I have had to buy to, your own? I had to buy my own. So I had okay. to buy, I think the one thing he said to bring was like water and a jacket and a suit, right? <laughs> and so I had a jacket and I had done a lot of research by that point in time. I had bought in like a beekeeping for dummies book. And I used to laugh about those blank for dummies books because I was like, really? Like, like, are they serious? Are they really good books? And they are. They're super great books. And I learned so much. And I still have my, I even reference it sometimes if I need to go back and think about, well, you know, is this a good time to do my splits in my hives or to, you know, should I be feeding them right now? It was a good book. So I've been reading that and I learned that colors, they don't like dark colors. So if you're, you know, ever dealing with bees, don't wear blacks, don't wear browns, wear whites, blues, or any color that's not like an animal color, right? Because they they see that. Sense why a lot of the beekeeper outfits I see are a light mm-hmm. color. Exactly. Exactly. That's why they do that. And so lo and behold, that day, of course, I kind of negated that information in my mind and I wore black pants. So I got stung up really bad that day. But um, yeah, I mean, I've just been, I've been doing it ever since. I just kind of been learning as I go. And it's so interesting to see them in so many different like arrangements. They're so architecturally like developed creatures. I've seen them in brick walls. I've seen them in walls. I've seen them in lamps, if you can believe that, like street lamps. I've seen them in jacuzzis. I've seen them in hood range vents and oh my gosh, just you name it. I've I've probably seen them. Seen them. That's so wild. Yeah. Yeah. They are wild indeed. Very, very true, Sonia. (laughs) Have do you see do you deal with like the hornets? Ooh, murder hornets. Right? Yeah. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. So that I, I unfortunately I, I haven't had the pleasure to work with murder hornets yet. Hopefully. I mean, there wouldn't be any incentive for me to house them. It's not like they're an endangered, you know, species or anything like that. But no, they're they're an invasive species, right? Yeah, they're invasive, yeah. So all all the more reason to do something about it. But I don't think I've heard anything about that yet. Yeah. Some something else that you and I have in common, besides being in the pest control industry, is I also use beekeeper gloves when I do inspections. Yes. It's very they're very heavy duty, dude. Well, yeah, and I, you have to spend money for them because I bought a cheap. Though I, I did spend, I think, fifteen bucks on one I bought on eBay. But mm-hmm. the reason I got them was to keep the dirt from going under. Oh, yeah. my long coverall sleeves. Yes. Um, because as you know, the beekeeper glove fits in your hand and mm-hmm. it slides up almost most of your arm. And I had to do that. Otherwise, if you just use regular gloves, when you go under a house, you come out and all the dirt has gotten under and now your forearm is all grimy and dirty. So yeah. Oh, wow. Problem with sometimes doing beekeeping stuff is if I'm doing a removal and I'm not approaching it from like the best angle, sometimes it can get really messy. So like when you're, de- when you're dealing with dirt and like fiberglass and insulation and stuff like that. I'm dealing with those depending on the situation. And I'm dealing with the fact that I get honey everywhere. I get covered in it. And when you have honey on your hands and you touch insulation, you just become like cotton candy man. Like you just (laughs) get covered it and it doesn't come off. You have to wait. And and the sucky thing is when you have it on you and it dries, it becomes like super hard. It becomes like a super structure on your hand and you have to like snap it off. It's crazy, dude, but it's a mess. So is that why you decided to kind of start music or did you, did you, were you joy desperate before or after beekeeping or can you tell us how music comes into? Yeah. So question music. Okay. So I've been a musician since 2012, but I, and that's another thing that I kind of just picked up on a whim. I didn't even care or even listen to music until I was 18. 
And what? at that point, I just kind of said, you know what? I want to learn guitar. And I remember asking my friends to teach me guitar in high school. And they're like, no, man, learn it yourself. And I said, okay. And I went and, and they're all like, man, like you've gotten so good. I'm like, thanks. I appreciate I appreciate you guys telling me to get to it, you know? But it's it's funny because I, I come from somewhat of a musical family. My mother was a trained pianist and a choir singer and a violinist. And she had like a music scholarship to like Cal Poly. And I learned nothing from her. I learned no no skills, no piano skills, no voice skills. None of that. Um, and she went on to become a teacher just of like general education or special education rather. And uh, I never learned any music. But when I graduated high school, I kind of fell in love with uh, listening to the Beatles, listening to classic rock. And I grew up at the youngest of five kids. And so all my siblings are in their uh, f- two in their 40s, two in their 30s, and I'm 27. So I grew up with a wide range of music, wide array rather of music in my in my life. Classic rock, classical rock, 90s R&B, uh, new wave, uh, contemporary rock and roll, plus modern stuff, rap, hip hop. And as a songwriter and a musician, I love everything. I love all styles, and I and I write in very. I mean, if you guys have listened to my catalog, besides the two songs I sent you, you'll you'll see that I I do a lot of different things, and I don't limit myself as an artist, but. Uh, when I first started, I played in local coffee shops down here in Riverside. And Riverside has some good venues. Uh, we have like a coffee shop. We have a couple taco places that put on open mics and things like that. When I was younger, I'd say around 2014 and 13, they had a lot more to offer the public. But obviously with COVID, a lot of live performance venues are just not happening right now. So it's right. really unfortunate for performances. Um, but around 2014, 15, I got confident enough. I was playing, gigging you know, constantly doing just by myself stuff, writing songs. And I decided to start a band and I operate, I was a manager, lead singer, vocalist, bassist, and just a general like PR guy of uh, a band that I I ran called Stereoscape. And we didn't go too far. We just kind of played in Riverside, did a couple things in LA. I think the best places I played were like Universal City Walk and the glass house so eh, you know i we kind of had some level of success with that Mm. but it kind of broke up you know we had a lot of my members had a lot of other commitments they had school a lot of them were going to school at the time ucr ucla and i was like the only one who at the time could devote so much time to doing music and so it kind of fell apart and i stayed in la for a little bit and decided to move back to riverside and for the longest time i just kind of kept my head down i stopped performing and I just kept writing and writing and writing and writing. And it got to the point where I said, you know, I, I, I'm tired of just sitting on all this content. I'm, so, I'm tired of sitting on all this music. I want to do something bigger with it than just kind of write it and put it away. Because uh, I write about a song a month and that's not too much, but it's it ends up racking up. And so I got to the point where I said, hmm, you know, uh, what do I do with it? I started recording my own songs at home. I have all my, I have a home studio. And so I have a lot of equipment and a lot of instruments that I play. I just started layering tracks, creating songs, and I kind of got bottlenecked at a point where it's like, who, what do I call myself? You know, how do I brand it myself? You know, and I come from a music business background. I did go to school for a little bit for communications and music business. Those are about the only things I really wanted to study. So uh, I did that and I ended up just coming up with the name Joy Desperate. Honestly, it doesn't really mean anything. (laughs) It's just kind of something I, I caught on a whim from like a YouTube video so the story behind the name is that there was, okay, so my brother watches like this YouTube channel where this guy is like a cross-dresser and he <laughs> he plays The Sims. And one of his Sims characters is called Joy Desperate, but not like Desperate, but like Desperate with an E-T and that's it. So I was like, oh, Joy Desperate, that's kind of funny. And he was kind of funny. So I was like, oh, and then lo and behold a couple you know a month later i was like you know what i think i kind of like that let me let me just take it and let me use it and so i think it's kind of funny because it kind of you know those two words are kind of they clash a little bit joy and, and being desperate like what does that mean and my whole idea for music and where i come from and as an as an artist is um i like variety i like the spice of life you know i like things being not always you know cohering and being the same thing all the time and as an artist, that's what I, I kind of do with my music. And it's kind of taken an interesting form in, you know, when it comes to my podcast, because I have the Joy Desperate podcast and what I want to do with my brand, with my music, because that's that's the way I see it. You know, I come from a place where my music is a product and I and I and I approach it from a business mindset. 
Whereas I know a lot of artists just want to be artists. They don't really want the business side of it. I'm I'm somewhat cursed with wanting to treat everything like an, a brand and a business. And I know it has to be more than that if it if it's going to be successful. And right. it's not that I, I approach this to want to like, oh, I want to make money or I want to be signed to this because I don't believe any, I don't believe an artist needs any of those things to be an artist. They they just need to love what they do. But what I have dreams for for Joy Desperate as as an as a brand and as a movement is just that I want it to be something where people can come together, community community can come from it. Whether you're in you know America, across the sea, you know wherever you're at, you can tune in and this can be you. Like I want the music to be something that draws people in, and then they listen to the podcast, and maybe all of a sudden you know we're getting people who can do like a Joy Desperate toy drive, a Joy Desperate you know food drive, you know, a, a volunteer effort, something cool, you know, where we can be a big family. And I love the idea of family. I love the idea of that's community. And that's, that's something I want to do. It's it's a slow start. It's a slow start. I'm just kind of scratching the surface of this dream. But, you know, it's a, it's, it's a race. You know, it's a slow race. Uh, not a race, rather. It's a slow run. It's like a marathon. And just got to keep putting in the work. That's kind of where I've been at with them, with the music and everything like that. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, you see a lot of artists getting interviewed, whether it's film, TV or, or music particularly. And, you know, they, when they ask them, you know, how, how long they started on their journey and, you know, it can take years to be an overnight success. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, but oh, yeah. well, it's, it's Indiana, cool yeah, Indiana Jones didn't get started until his late forties, I think. That's true. That's right. true. Samuel L. Jackson too was quite older and Jason Bateman, I believe they mm-hmm. were all like 40 and up. Right. Getting yeah. into it. So I still have hope for us. <laughs> you know, I have hope for all of us. You know, I, I think what resonated to me about you guys is that you guys, you started as strangers, you know, and aren't we all, don't we are, don't we right? all kind of start like that and whatever we do, whether it's our first job, whether it's our first day of school, whether it's, well, we're still speeding, strangers kind of, you know, I know. We still have never met each other in person. Really? No. I mean, you guys are both in California. <laughs> I know. We're both probably an hour away from each other. When I'm oh at work, goodness. I'm closer to her. Yeah. That's so funny. That is so funny. But you know what? Like, that's, I think that's the beauty of the time we live in is that we can all get to know each other to, to a really deep level. And some of us won't ever really meet each other, but it's like, that's the beauty of it. You know, we have a big, like, it's like that family, it's the idea of family, right? of people you're you're letting into your life and you're growing with, even though it's not like you're right there with them, you know? Well, no, Sonia and I are definitely going to meet. We're probably going to set up a pay-per-view for that episode. Oh, yeah. I think we should. That would be fantastic. I'll think of our costumes now. <laughs> <laughs> you guys should wear, you guys should wear exactly what you wear in your, in your artwork. Right. right? I think that'd be super, super spot on. And, and you know, I mean, Sonia and I, we've talked about that in the early days, right, Sonia? We talked yeah. about, hey, if you ever want to do this and do that. And, but, you know, Sonia is a, is definitely free spirited mm. and very rolls with the punches. Right. And is very, you know, whereas I was like, you're a stranger, don't even look at me and give me COVID. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that's why Sonia was like, you know, if I would have said, yeah, let's meet, you know, once she figured out I wasn't trying to scam her out of money and a weirdo, you know, I could have said, Hey, Sonia, let's go meet and lunch and talk about the podcast. You know, we probably would have met, but yeah. you know, for me, it was still, I mean, I was at, in those early days, I was reluctant to go into people's homes to do an inspection. Mm. And at work, at least my boss was very understanding of that and kind of eased me into it, especially coming back from being away from work for an injury. But right. So yeah, we, we've talked about it and just because of my reluctance and I'm getting better with that now and as things are getting under control and hopefully now I'll be able to get a vaccine because I think technically uh, you and I are considered food and agriculture. So we may be able to now qualify to get a, a vaccine if we wanted it possibly. Well, I remember reading a LA Times story like about a month afterwards how you know people were starting to see an increase in pests uh, particularly rats around the mm. LA area oh yeah i heard about that <laughs> yeah. well sonia rescues rats she doesn't exterminate them oh, i cute. know i i am a sucker for living beings yes everything little she, uh, sonia had a spider coming down in her shower that was so bizarre 
Oh, and I never told you. I think like a couple weeks ago, there was another one, but he only stayed for like three days. Mm-mm. You're running a little bed and breakfast for uh, I right. <laughs> You're right, exactly. Let me ask you about this because you mentioned it on your Insta because Sonia and I, you know, we, we research our guests before they come out and we creep. We're creepers. We're creep- yeah. But I went back and found uh, one of your posts on Instagram from March 2017. Uh-huh. And you blogged that, or you posted that you had taken your car to a local mechanic, oh. and they gave you a hard time because yes. of your Spanish-sounding you name, know, and that yeah. you don't speak Spanish. No, I don't. And you know, it's so funny you bring that up, bro. Because I was, I woke up. I think I, I want to say it was even this morning or yesterday morning, and I had that memory, and I was like, "That's such an odd thing to remember at eight a.m. Why?" Hmm. But yes, I had gone there, and so that was when I had. Mm, kind of just moved into LA and I was living in Inglewood. So, oh my gosh. Oh, wow. I've done so many. Even when I moved to LA, I did like one, two, three, no, four moves. I did four moves while I lived in LA. I, I moved first and I lived with my brother in Van Nuys. And then once I saved up enough money for my own place, I found on Craigslist, I found this trailer for rent in Venice. And so what it was, it was this 19, it had to been 70s, 1970s trailer that was in some guy's backyard and God, I want to say God rest him because I don't know if he's alive anymore. He was this beautiful man. He was an elderly fellow. I believe his name was Tom or something like that, but he had a lot of stuff in his backyard. It was kind of junky looking. And I I lived, I paid like 700 for like this, you know, janky trailer and it was cold as hell. And I remember it was Uh. in August of 2016 where we had that really bad rainstorm in that, in that, in that fall. And oh, wow. I knew it was bad because I woke up in the middle of the night and I heard like a water faucet going and I'm saying, what, what is that? And I turned on the little light and my roof was part of my language, piss pouring right in the middle. And I was oh, like, no. Oh my goodness. And it was funny because I had, I could do nothing. I could absolutely do nothing about it. I had a little, little tiny little, um, saucepan and I put that underneath and it, it, it overflowed in like three seconds. And I just went back to bed. I said, I can't do anything about it. So I stayed there for a while. And I remember the funny thing about that place is that there was this cat who lived in the backyard and he was the only cat I ever met who had a cough. The poor thing. He walked up and he'd be like, well, <coughs> and I'd be like, Oh, Hey little buddy. And he just was so sad looking, but he was a beautiful cat. And yes, it was, it was an interesting time. Let's just too say much that smoking. Yes. Too I much smoking. He's on that catnip. He's hitting it too hard. But, um, <laughs> I moved from there and I finally saved up even more money to move into a studio in Inglewood. And that's where I had like some problems with my car. And that's where I made that post. But oh, I, to get to your you know point, I, I don't speak Spanish. Um, my name is Villanueva uh, and my mom speaks fluent Spanish. My dad, not so much. And my grandma is just all Spanish speaking, but I never learned a lick. Except for well, like, we get Russian, it. right? I am. I am learning Russian. Did I say that? When did I say that? Or did you guys just find that out? <laughs> I creeped on your podcast. Oh, man. good. Hey, I appreciate you creeping because that means you're listening. Um, yes, I've been learning some Russian on Duolingo. And I used to kind of laugh about that app because I don't I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Duolingo memes. Have you guys seen those? No. Where it's like, okay, because when you get Duolingo, if you don't practice, it sends you text messages. And it says, you haven't practiced in three days. You know what happens next. And it's just really cryptic. The messages are really Whoa. cryptic. And the, the the memes were as follows. It would show like a picture of you getting that text. And then it would show like the Duolingo bird with like a gun in his hand. Like it's going to threaten you if you don't practice. It was just kind of funny. I don't know. I am I like weird comedy like that. But no, I like it. I just yeah. didn't know it exists. You look it up when you guys get off Duolingo memes and you guys will get it. But um, Oh, no. That sounds like Sonya's worst AI nightmare. I know, right? Well, you know what? I, I think we're all headed there, you know, whether we like it or not. So we got to just get with our evil robot overlords. Oh my God. Okay, so I was, I got to tell you guys this. So on Saturday, my friend and I were at breakfast on main street in Santa Monica and we just look over and then there's this little like square thing on wheels <laughs> rolling down the sidewalk. And we're like, what is happening? Right now? And everyone that was out eating breakfast was just like, no, no. <laughs> and it just, it would stop for the cars to pass. And then when there was no cars, it would cross the street. And it's like to deliver stuff like you. I saw that on your Instagram post. You're right. What like, was that? This is insane. 
Is that one of those food food delivery ones? I, I imagine, maybe. Huh? Food delivery? No, it's like whatever. It's just a box. And it's like a lift, you know, like those little mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. scooters, right? It's, yes. You have an app and you just activate it, put whatever you need inside and then send it to the, wherever it needs to, to go. <laughs> like a personal delivery. It's a per- Yeah. But it's like robotic. And That's I was, crazy. Everyone, we were all like, what? No, the Jetsons is happening, you know? <laughs> Wow, but that just takes away so many jobs. Well, it just changes the job market. Yeah, but it's you know, kinda... but there's heard... something about being with the person and making that experience. Yeah. I don't know. I'm and but then there's sometimes where I'm like, there's some really bad customer service out <laughs> yes, there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, yep. Or there's some there's some <laughs> people who, you know, their customer service is very robotic. And so it's almost kind of the same thing, you know? Right. Well, true. Just give it time. Someone's gonna program attitude into these AI people oh, yeah. checking you in. Watch. Right? Don't get hacked. Right. No. Well, I would like to know. So, because I I did listen to quite a few different uh, of your songs, and they were so different. So you mentioned that like you really like the Beatles, but or you pretty much like anything. So, Mm -hmm. is there anything in particular that what inspires you to write a song, and how do you come up with your music? You know that is such. I think for any artist, that's the that is the loaded question. That's like the loaded. That's like the loaded potato, bacon, cheese wedges of questions, right? Because it's so like, man, like you have to dig around. I mean, there's like my childhood. There's the stuff I listen to. There's the stuff. I mean, let me let's start from the beginning. When I first learned music and I first learned how to even like strum a guitar and I was figuring out chords, uh, chords, I would. What I would do when it came to approaching a songwriting is I would look at my favorite songs. I'd say, you know, what am I listening to right now? And I'd hear a song about this. Like, let's say it was like a love song. I'd say, okay, let me try that. And I'd replicate, right? And I'd just, that was my basic building blocks. It was like me playing with like toys and like building blocks and Legos, trying to just see, okay, this is what this does. And this is how this goes. This is how to use that chord. And this is what that goes. So I did a lot of that in the beginning. Like I'd hear, I remember I was going to... Uh, the coffee shops around the area. And I'd hear, I remember I, the first time I heard a dude play a banjo and he was singing folk songs and I was blown away. I think he sang that one song, rock me mama like a rag and wheel. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know that one, but that's like, a, a, I think kind of like a staple folk song, at least in my mind. And I, I went home and I said, I want to play like that. And I just kind of just whacked my guitar as if it was a banjo. And I was like, this is folk music. Like it was like, a light bulb went on in my head. And so I like, it was almost like I unlocked like a skill tree of like different songs, different styles. And I'm always listening to new things and trying to find out different scales, chords, and just different ways to do it. But as it goes now, I think a lot of things just kind of come out fluidly through me and just like, Oh, you know, I have an idea for like this kind of chorus, or sometimes it'll start with like some words I have in my head, something I've heard, maybe a theme, you know, one of my songs, uh, Pecan Johnny, that song is kind of based off like Western folk, country folk, Western songs, (laughs) right? That tell, that tell a ballad about a character who's doing something crazy. You know, Uh, I think of like CCR and and Jerry Reed when I think about that song, or I have songs like Your Guard, which is based on like heavily, you know, heavy eighties influenced and like glam rock and other things like that. So I put a lot of different kind of themes in my music and it's really just, I don't know. It just kind of comes naturally, and uh, I just have fun with it. Just whatever I kind of think I want to try the next day, I'll I'll write a song about it. Now you said glam rock. Now, do you like it, or are we going to see a glam rock video and music from Ooh, you? You know what? See, that's the challenge, right? Because right now I got the music, but I don't have the video yet. Like that's something I'm trying to figure out. It's like, man, I got to get my hands on like some sort of like video equipment i mean i'd love to get like a photo shoot done sometime soon i need more pictures of myself for publications but um i'd love to do something like that too i I love i love music videos i love that you can kind of just tell a fun story and have a lot of time with it my favorite music video of all time i think has to be like um paul simon's you can call me al that um, is such a good video i, I love that one i love it silly because he has <laughs> someone else singing the song you know and he's almost like not not the star of the of the video it's just it's just goofy it's silly and i like stuff like that and i think if i were to get around to making 
uh, when I want to say when I get around to making music videos, there'll be something similar like that. Whereas I'm just going off the wall and I'm maybe dressed up in something I would never even wear and just having fun. You know what I mean? Well, to making music videos, I see a collaboration in your future. Yeah. How's that? Well, I mean, you already have your home studio, you have yeah. the songs and the music, and you're collaborating with us on a podcast, so I can easily see you finding someone um, oh, yeah. Yeah, that that's has the equipment and is looking for a muse. I feel the same, you know, even for us, because we, when we started, we kind of had... We just want know what we wanted to start a podcast, and we thought, mm -hmm. well, what do we? Neither one of us have done it before, and uh, we tried some different things. I would say the majority of them were pretty good, but there was a few like want want move <laughs> moments, sure. you know. And I well, in our defense, I mean, we did try to gauge our reactions by watching a film. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Horrible. Oh my God. Do if you ever, if someone ever tells you, um, Hey, do you want to watch this film? It's called tire run. Just run away. Run away. Hmm. <laughs> Sounds cryptic. Oh, it was, it was bad. So we pretty much nixed that whole episode. We're like, yeah, that's not going to air. But I like now that, you know, that we've kind of gotten a little more comfortable you know, having a podcast and then us kind of growing to bring on and collaborate with just a really, everyone we have interviewed so far has been so great and talented and just so different. And we're thankful. I know I'm thankful. And um, I thought it was neat also that we could interview a fellow podcaster too, because I'm like, yeah. <laughs> We like we as creators and, and I'm and I'm speaking to anyone who's listening to this in the future or now, you know, take that out of your mind. Take that out of take perfection out of your vocabulary. It doesn't exist. You're never gonna be ready for anything and you need to just jump into it right now. It's not gonna sound great. You're gonna hate the sound of your own voice for a long time. And you're gonna feel oh, no, Sonia and I like the sound of our own voice. We're okay right. with that. And then eventually yeah. eventually you can very like uh, narcissistic and then you love it. <laughs> but uh, it's you know, it's just it comes with time and you have to be able to explore that and you have to be able to just let's say, you know what, I'm just gonna do it over and over and over because eventually you get great at it. Yeah, I, I think that's a key for me is I th I think uh, Sonia and I being genuine, being ourselves and um, and that's one of the things that, that, uh, has attracted us to our guests, I think is just different stories, yeah. you know, so that that's always enlightening, but let me ask you, you talked about bees and I wrote a little note here. Sure. So like, where do you sell your honey that does survive? Okay. Your bees? So what I, so the way I typically am harvesting my honey. So when I relocate a hive, there's honey, that's going to be part of the hive. Naturally, they're always going to have some food stores, depending on the age and the strength of the hive. And so what I'll do is I'll take that, I'll take a, some of it and I'll put it in the new hive with them because they need some food stars and whatever's excess I'll take home and I'll process at home and I'll jar up as natural, I don't know, honey, obviously, you know, I, I filter it, take out all the other, you know, parts out of it and I just jar it and I sell it. Typically I've been selling it locally for just, you know, a couple bucks here and there, drive by only. Uh, I'm working on figuring out how to ship. That's, that's kind of the next challenge, at least in terms of my company, Bee Removal Crew, is finding out how do I kind of utilize everything I'm getting from my jobs? Because when I do a removal job, I'm getting the bees, I'm relocating, I'm getting them home, plus I'm getting honey, plus I'm getting wax. And there's a lot of usages for that. And I'm also right, getting pollen. And the what wax about farmers can, markets, right? Farmers markets is is an avenue I'm looking into right now. Um, there's a lot of them, especially down here. We have something called the Riverside Green Belt, which is you know Riverside is known for its orange agriculture, and it started off you know as a huge just mainstay for orange production here, and it still kind of is for the most part, and of course with the other areas as well. But there's a huge agricultural part of Riverside that I'm just barely scratching the surface of right now. I, I was able to connect with a orchard that's up the street of this uh, couple, husband and wife, who just recently bought an orchard and they're learning how to do it. And I'm, I, I made a you know connection with them. I worked for them for a little bit and I was like, Hey, you know, do you guys want some bees on your property? You know, I'll, I'll give you guys free pollination. You guys give me a free rent and we'll just say good day. And that was it. That was an agreement. But you know, they always were like, we're going to pass your name around. You know, we're going to see if anybody else wants some bees because it's going to be helpful to all of us. 
And let me ask you though, sure. when when you're doing that, when you put a hive on a property like on an orchard, now they're still producing honey, right? That's ultimately yes. what they're doing. Okay. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're, they're still going to be, they're producing around the clock. There are going to be main seasons for harvest, which is going to be probably spring, summer, and fall are the main oh. seasons. Over winter, it's not wise to take any honey from them because they're going to, even though we live in Southern California, right? And it's always pretty sunny. We hardly get any rain. Like, you know, the past couple of days have been just a godsend, but it's not always what happens, right? We're always kind of sunny and always warm. There's a couple of times of those years where you can get the honey out of them. And they're always producing. So yeah, there's going to be a time where I need to go back to them and take out from the hives. But the rule of wow. thumb is that you need to be maintaining a healthy hive that's self-sufficient and doesn't need too much intervention for at least two years. And about the second year, you can start harvesting honey from them. That's amazing. Yeah. You could I'm- even start doing like making products or something too. Yeah. 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 That's the goal, right? So right now I've actually been this, this last week and a half, I've been experimenting, experimenting with candle making and it's been messy. It's been extremely messy because I'm not using the right vessels. I'm like trying to uh, pour out of a saucepan. It's getting everywhere. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm experimenting with different wicks. And the cool thing about it is I have one of my old bandmates, actually my old keyboardist. Um, she's been, she has a candle company. She, she's selling on Etsy. And so I've been, I'm trying to learn a lot from her and she's using certain kind of uh, carriers for her shipping. And so I'm exploring that avenue as well so that when I start getting an excess of wax, beeswax, I can I can render that down and start producing candles and hopefully have Joy Desperate Candle Company. That would be really nice. That's very yeah. creative yeah. and very sustainable. Oh, yeah. I mean, talk yeah. about minding your beeswax here. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys you guys are honestly hearing that first because I haven't talked to anybody about that. So that's oh. something I'm, I'm hoping comes to pass because I'm trying to be smart. I'm trying not to waste anything and trying to reuse and reduce, right? Especially as it comes from taking from a living creature and respecting that creature, right? In one of God's creation and using everything from it to help others. So, you know. I love it. That's beautiful. Yeah. And then I have, so kind of to kind of go back to, I know we're like all over the yeah. place, <laughs> back okay. and forth from bees to podcast and music. So, what really made you decide to do a podcast? Yeah, that's a good question. I would definitely agree with you. You know, it's it's a newer thing I'm trying to do. And really what it was born out of is working from home, if I can be honest. So I've so I started the business at the beginning of last year and I, you know, I'm, I'm working freelance because of that, right? So technically it's a freelance gig economy and I get called when I get called for jobs like that. I have downtime. So I'm not only working on my music, but I have this setup. I have, you know, a sound booth that I paid a lot of money for that I only use for music. And I'm like, that's not right. I should be trying to maximize myself. And I asked myself, I said, what can I use right now that's in my possession to be productive with? And I said, I have my set. I have my setup. So I embarked on becoming a voice actor and a voice talent. And I also embarked on doing the podcast. And so the podcast, the dream for the podcast, like I mentioned before, is to bring people together in community. I want to like you guys have guests on showcase people. I'm I want to be everyone's biggest fan. Like that's something I am extremely gifted in is being able to like connect with people and talk with people. And I love other artists. I love people who have stories, who have, you know, tales, who have experienced their walk of life. And I want to give them a chance to shine. So that's what I hope to do with the the podcast, but also kind of bridge that gap. Like you're saying to intermingle between, Hey, here's the music product. Here's the music I do, but there's more behind that. And you can be a part of music, but you can also be a part of the community. And then that Joy Desperate name can kind of blend into, hey, you want to, you like it? Okay, maybe you want to buy a candle or something like that, or you want to support this, or the proceeds from this can go to this cause, right? Like that's something I want to do in the future. And I don't know how it's going to happen at all, but it's a dream and it's a thought. So that's kind of how I started doing it. And just trying to be productive really is why it started. That's amazing. I love it. So good. Yes. So you've been doing beekeeping. You've got your own beekeeping business. Yes. Now, how often are you getting stung? Are you still getting stung? Yes. I'm getting stung all the time. Um, what? All the time. And you would think, well, can't you just like not get stung anymore? Because you already got stung so many times. It's just right. always different. Like, So there are two different kinds of bee suits, right? There's just the jacket, or there's just the pants, or there's the suit where you step in like a big onesie and it right. covers you. That's probably the best level of protection. I don't do that. I, when I learned from my, what I'm going to say is my mentor, 
He only had a jacket and honestly, he had a hole right where his knee was and he didn't care. And so I've kind of taken that approach to my work and I get stung all the time. I think most of the time I'll get stung like at the points where maybe, because I mean, you'll know, you know, maybe if you, you know, you wear your, your jumpsuit, Antonio, there there are times where it gets a little flush against your skin and it kind of flattens against your muscles or your arms or your skin. That's when they can get me. So it doesn't matter Uh. what kind of suit I wear. If it ends up being flush against my skin, that's where they can pinch me. And they're going to be able to read my heat signature and say, get them right here. It's flat. Boom. And they oh, wow. And the thing, about bee, yeah, the bee, thing about bee stings is when they they essentially disembowel themselves, right? So they sting you, they pull their, their uh, venom sac out, and that stays pumping venom into you. So the trick is right. take that out as soon as you can, get rid of it, and kind of rub the area to kind of disperse the swelling. Mm. But when they do that, when they sting you, they release a pheromone. And that pheromone tells other bees, hey, this is the enemy, sting him right oh, here. Nice. And so my worst case, the, the day I got the most stings, I want to say I got 20 stings on my left bicep and, at once. And that was because I was pulling out pieces of comb from, I don't know if, I, if you guys remember, I told you that I did a job where there was um, bees in a hood arrangement. So there was a right. long vent and I couldn't get to them from one side and I couldn't get to them from the other side. So I had to get a long stick. like a a fashioned like hook and pull out the pieces and they did not like that it was a very rough and a very messy removal and i wasn't able to salvage the hive and they were very aggressive because well you know i was messing with them so i had to pull them out but i had to do it you know it's the only way and i was pulling them out but because of the way it was almost like i was i was doing a one-sided row with the boat like i I was doing that motion and they were getting my left bicep over and over and over because it was right next to the opening of where i was getting them out and so i had like 20 stings there it, yeah, it was really bad. And I, I, I was on, on the worst. Okay. So that was like probably my worst job, but it still wasn't that bad as, as bad as it sounds. Because even after all those things, what had happened was because I was coming in from one side of this vent, they were all uh, escaping towards the other side of the vent. And so what had happened is where the vent was going down into their kitchen, where they should have had a hood range oven installed, it was just a piece of cardboard taped to the ceiling. And so all those bees were collecting and guess what? The bottom fell out and they all fell into their kitchen. So I had a thousands of bees in this family's kitchen and I was like, okay, this is not good. And at that point I had to abandon all hope of saving this hive and I had to break up my shop vac and just vacuum them all up because they were flipping out and that w- it could have been a lot worse. But luckily wow. they were very understanding. They were very lovely people and they said, you know what? It just is what it is. We should have had a hood vent installed. This would have never happened. And I said, yeah, but you know, I'm sorry it had it go this way, but I'm glad we got them out. And at the end of the day, everything turned out fine, but that was probably so, my worst job. So when you got stung, like you said, roughly 20 times in your left bicep, that didn't like disable your arm. I mean, I could just picture it turning to jelly. I know. So I wanted what, to ask, like, how do you care for yourself or do you take like an antihistamine before you go all to right. That's a good question. Those are very good questions. The I should be smarter about it. Let's let's just say that I should be more careful because I've I've done so much research on the effects of bee stings and it's the jury, let's just say the jury's still out because so many people are saying, you know, you can get better, you can get more of a resistance the more you get stung. Some people say mm-hmm. you just get worse and your your resistance goes down. Um and they always say you if you're working in this kind of field, you should have an epinephrine pen, an epipen on you at all times. And I remember even asking that to my mentor. I said, hey, do you have a pen on you in case of emergency? He says, oh, no. And I'm like, hmm. And I, at that point, I was like, maybe I should, should I be right, taking everything I learned to heart? But right. I, I, eventually, I do want to get one. But it's so expensive. They're so expensive to get, you know, epinephrine pens, like 300 to $400 a shot. Now, and, only, and they're one-time Isn't use. that recent? Also, I, like I in the last so. couple of years that that happened, where they I jacked so. up the price? Yeah. Oh, I think I read something about that. I think the pharma bro was behind that. Yeah. (laughs) I remember hearing. Oh, I think I heard about that. That one guy. Pharma bro. Yeah. That one guy. So I should be smarter about that. Um, But I think what had happened in that case, and most of the times I think what does happen is that I will get stung, but the venom won't actually get me. Like they'll barely be able to poke through just enough to just beep, to get into my skin a little bit, but they won't actually be able to inject the venom. So I'll still get a little pinch of a reaction, but I won't be able to get, and most of the time I'm pretty good about like, if I do get like full stung, I'll immediately take the stinger out, smoke the area because I use my smoker and that will help hide the scent so that they don't want to keep stinging me there. So luckily, you know, thank God I haven't had any really bad experiences yet. Cross my fingers. You know, I don't know if I'll be doing this forever. I don't know if this is what I'm meant to do, 
But while I'm doing it, I'm trying to be as safe as I can. I'm just thinking, what if you have like some like like clay and make like a little mud patch and you could like, because <laughs> mud and clay is very like it, it like, um, it's like an exfoliant, but it when as it dries, it sucks out all the toxins mm, in your skin and stuff like that. So I was oh. like, oh, you could like seal it. Like if you could mix it up in your like truck, your work truck, keep it and then like put that on right away. Like Maybe. after you're done with your job. Yeah. That's you know, that might be idea. a thought. You know, I, I also have spackling that I, that I have that might work too. I'll just put some, I'll just dab that. I use a little scraper and dab that on my arm and I'll have yeah. some drywall there and soak up some stuff. But I mean, I don't know. There, there's probably so many things I could be trying. Um, I'm learning. Let's just say I'm always a student of my craft as I think everyone, every professional, whatever they do would right. say. So, oh, trust me. I've been a massage therapist for how, since 2008. And when I think I've seen or I've done it all, I get challenged and I'm like, okay. Sometimes for the good and sometimes for not. And but it's <laughs> because I basically work, you know, in Beverly Hills. So there's, you know, Cedar Sinai is mm-hmm. right there. So we get people from all around the world that come in to have surgeries there. Yeah, Tiger Woods recently. Oh, I know, right? Isn't that crazy? Wow. <laughs> well, his recovery. Yeah. Right. I know. Well, maybe you shouldn't have had 128 affairs. Yeah. Right. Oh, yes. That's a whole <laughs> other podcast. <laughs> right? It's crazy because I do meet these really amazing people sometimes. And I get to, it's, it's like it blows my mind and makes me so happy and privileged that I can help um, heal these people and give them, you know, make them feel good too, you know? So, I mean, there's plenty of, to the spectrum, you know, I mean, I get, I do get some wackadoos too, you know, yeah. Yeah. and weirdos and like, huh? So a massage can, yes, help physically, but I mean, I've had people cry on my table, Wow. you know, and then I had this guy wake himself up cause he farted so loud. So <laughs> <laughs> amazing. That was, I was like, I couldn't help but laugh out loud because I was like, wow, <laughs> that's a new one. Oh, my. But, um, so from massage to music, because um, we're winding down here, but you sent us um, two singles, and I noticed you have two albums out that I saw on Apple uh, Music. Yes. And you sent me the song Current Value Yes, uh, that you released um, recently. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because during our conversation here, you mentioned that you're a Beatles fan amongst many other um, artists. And that's interesting because when I was listening to your song, I, I thought, this kind of gives me a a Beatles vibe, I thought. <laughs> um, so please tell me a little bit about Current Value. So that's... So, okay. So that's off my Life by Grace EP. And so my approach to music so far has been EPs. I have so many songs I've been just that are stowed away in my catalog. I, I have more than 154 songs written. Not all of them are good. Wow. Um, so I'm just kind of pumping them out as I can get them. Plus I'm also writing new songs every month. Um, so this song, this track of this EP rather, I'm sorry, Life by Grace is kind of a double entendre because I'm a, I'm a man of faith. You know, I have my uh, Christian values and things like that. And yeah. I live by grace, right? What I believe in, but I also live on my street. There's a street parallel that's called Grace, and so that's the street you see in the album art. Uh, I went and took a picture of that. But um, as it pertains to the song "Current Value," the title of that song really came from the digital kit I used. The digital kit for the drums on on one of the channels was uh, called "Current Value C," and so I said, "Hmm, I can't think of a name for this song, so I'm just going to name it." after the drum kit. So it's right. called Current Value. <laughs> but the funny thing is, as I started writing, so that song was born from the the drum track, then I laid down, I think, the rhythm and the bass and then the keyboards. And I think the last thing I almost written was, I almost wrote was the lyrics.
it was interesting how it kind of evolved because that track kind of became a bit of a personal commentary on my view on the world and my view on certain things that we see. And, you know, the lyrics say, you know, it's hard to be a good man. It's hard to be a man at all. It's harder being human. It's hard to know the way we fall, right? So simple lyrics, you know, but just kind of reflecting lyrics. um, And it moves on to say um, that I can't pretend to tell you where my feelings end, you know, hearkening to we all have so many views and we all have so many things that we feel and there's no end to it. Any one of us can go on for hours and hours and talk about what we feel about something. Uh, but then it kind of abruptly stops before the course says, and in a world of change, it's your decision if you bend or break, uh, kind of putting it back on the listener and saying, you know what, you're responsible for what the things you have and what things you think of and what you things you do. Um, and then the chorus says, you know, but it's starting, it's, it, it uplifts in the chorus saying, you know, but it's starting to feel like a little bit people arise to the challenge and amidst mm-hmm. all the things we see and the superficial status of Kings are coming apart at the, at the seams. So you know, a little bit of fun there with rhyming, but, you know, uh, things that we put so much value, things that we, we think, oh, this person's going to lead us. This person's going to tell us how to live. This person's going to save us. Or this ideology is going to be our answer. Everything's coming apart. And right. we're all the same. At the end of the day, we're all the same. And pretty much the theme of that song is just like, question what you think, question what you see, know that every person's broken and that... You know, it's up to you what happens in your life to a, to a point, you know, you can't control everything, but you can control how you react. So I suppose that's kind of the message there. If I had to, if I had to put one down to it, right. I love the message. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to kind of, so Antonio had wanted to also talk about the love's inspiration. Oh, sure. He really enjoyed it. So, um, uh, so please tell us about that one too. Yeah. So that song is again, kind of themed after what I would describe as R&B, right? I love R&B and I grew up with a lot of 90s R&B. So a lot of like boys to men and a lot of like heartfelt stuff. And then obviously today we have our contemporary, you know, heart throbs. Um, there's like, um, what's Ed Sheeran? You know, you have songs that kind of play with acoustics and pianos and- like, Really? Ed love. Sheeran is considered R&B? I, yeah. To some people, yeah. What? To some people aren't, aren't, but it's funny because he, he kind of plays the field a little bit. Like some people think he's a folk guy. Some people think he's just an acoustic dude. But yeah. I, but I, he does all. I love that cover of um, Black Street. Wait, back Black Street. Yeah, right? no diggity, right? Yeah, yeah. He, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Like, there's a bridge there, right? There's a bridge, and that's the thing that music, music is the. I, I like to quote the Moody Blues, a, a band that I love from the '60s, '70s, and onward. They had a song. Um, called I'm just a singer in a rock and roll band and they were saying in that song they talk about the music being a traveler bridging the seas right music is its own thing and when you are a musician and when you partake partake in listening to a song it's not just the song it's 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 crossing even more than what the artist can put into it right like I have my own meanings for songs right but guess what Antonio's gonna listen to it you're gonna listen to it Sonia and you're gonna hear something completely different than even what I even thought I was gonna put into it and that's, and that's being an artist, right? Because I yeah. feel like I, when I think in, about creating anything, it, it, okay, so I have done some modeling. And my friend, she's an amazing, talented photographer. And we work really well together. We both have these visions in our head. And we're like, all right, this is what we're going to do. But then when we start shooting and putting every, the outfits together, and it just kind of, it's never what you originally had thought. Exactly. But right. I think because I think that's what creating and being an artist is is like okay well you have this thing, but then the reality of it and how it comes across and you come up with little you know like there's little bumps here and there on how okay we're gonna wait we got to stop and figure out how to <laughs> how is this really gonna work you know so yeah. I, I that sounds like it. our podcast yeah exactly it's kind of time for us to start sure. wrapping it up so I'm for gonna. Sure close us on out and thank you so much thank you thank you for being on the show joy jesperit and oh so where where can we find you just on spotify yeah you can find me on spotify all major streaming platforms whether it's apple music i think uh bandcamp i'm not quite there yet but on other most places even youtube i have my youtube channel uh that's at joy desperate and mainly right now i'm focusing on instagram kind of just building a following there and just connecting with people on that level, that's joy.desperate 
on Instagram. And really, you guys can, anyone can reach me there. I'm working on a website right now that kind of links everything together. So that'll come in time, but I can be found there. Awesome. Great. Great. All right. Well, thank you, Matthew. Joy Desperate. Thank you. Thank you, Antonio. It's a pleasure, as always. Yeah. And then I just want to thank everyone for listening in with us. And next week, get ready to laugh. For our next guest, we will have Stephen Marcus Relaford on with us. And you can find us, The Healer and The Inspector, on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So please follow, share, and subscribe. We are so grateful to all those listening, wherever you may be. Wherever you may be.